turn with me, if you would, this evening, as the Lord may enable us to Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. And we wish to look at the words that we have in verse 18. Quote then, Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. The words that we have in verse 18, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. <clears throat> now, Paul, at this particular time, is under house arrest, most likely. It is his first time, and the best that Paul is probably going to look at is going before Caesar and being put to death. He will be put to death for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Caesar Nero has no love for the, the gospel. He has no love for, for Christianity because as far as he was concerned, it, he demanded that Caesar is God and that Christ is, is God manifest in the flesh was offensive to him. But nevertheless, Nero would be confronted by the gospel, by the apostle Paul. And in, in all of this, Paul can rejoice. You wonder what it is that he could have to rejoice about. Yet he rejoices in the fact that Jesus Christ is preached. That was his great delight. It's interesting that Nero, as a Caesar, was relatively sane and a relatively intelligent and good Caesar until he met Paul. History shows us that at the time when he met Paul, it is from that time onwards that Nero, many say, became completely mad and sane. Is it the fact that in meeting Paul, he ultimately, he ultimately rejected the gospel? Perhaps even being uh, taken by the devil himself? He became belligerent against Christianity, ultimately seeking to burn down Rome and to blame Christ Christians for it. Many, say, many in history show you that he became really quite an insane man. And that occurred at the time when he met with Paul for some reason. But be that as it may, be that as it may, the Apostle Paul is in, is in house arrest here. He comes before Nero twice, the first time Nero releases him, and the second time Nero puts him to death. Now, Paul in this situation you would hardly think there would be anything that would, at this time, uh, rejoice his heart. But he rejoiced at the preaching of the gospel. My friend, this evening, do you rejoice that Jesus Christ has preached? Do you come to listen to a sermon? And are you looking for, well, what is it you're looking for in a sermon? Are you looking for uh, social issues? Are you looking for some encouragement or whatever it might be? Or do you come to God's house and you rejoice when Christ is preached? Jesus Christ is lifted up in the preaching of the gospel. 
And it didn't matter to Paul whether that was in contention or out of contention. When you, you look at verses 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some of goodwill. It would appear, and whatever it meant that when they, they, they preached in envy and strife, it was envy and strife apparently against Paul himself. Whether it was out of jealousy against him, thinking that now that Paul is in bonds, that they will be able to take advantage and they will be able to become the great preachers of the day. Others preached in love to Paul, not out of envy, but out of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. They loved the apostle Paul. But Paul wasn't a man that said, I'm envious of another minister. I'm envious of whoever it is. Paul wasn't that kind of minister. Paul didn't envy other ministers. A true minister of the gospel loves to hear God blessing his word, wherever it may be. We heard today or, or last night of two new members in the staff and congregation. They've come into that. I remember meeting them last year. My friend, do we rejoice? It's not in, it's not in Stornoway. It's not in Edinburgh, but it's in Stafford. And we all rejoice when we hear the Lord blessing his word and bringing sinners in from completely outside, not just moving from one congregation to another, but actually the gospel being blessed to poor sinners. We rejoice, do we not? The true minister of the gospel rejoices wherever he hears that the gospel is preached and the gospel is blessed. And that's the way Paul was. Because Paul says, Christ, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. I want to think about six things that the apostle perhaps has in mind that we can think of this evening with regards to Christ being preached. And we notice, first of all, Paul's concern. This is Paul's great concern. Paul's concern is not his own life or his own safety. Paul's concern is not so much that he's going to go before Nero and perhaps be put to death. Paul's concern is that Christ is preached. Here it is at the very beginning of the epistle to the Philippians. It's where he starts. And you find that very often with the Apostle Paul. The preaching of the gospel is not left until chapter 3, 4, or 5. Preaching of the gospel is there right at the beginning of the epistle to the Philippians. That's true when he goes to the, when he writes to the, the church at Galatia. <clears throat> he challenges the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? You've gone after another gospel. There it is, chapter one. You go to the church at Corinth, and Paul there is addressing a different church in Corinth to the ones in Philippi. There are no issues he's going to address to the church at Philippi. But he has many issues to address in the church at Corinth. He's got church discipline, a man who was a, a, an immoral man among them. They were puffed up with this man and weren't willing to deal with him. There were things at the Lord's table. There was the head covering. There were all manner of things that were wrong in the church at Corinth. But he begins, chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That's where he begins. 
And I think, Jane, I think that when you look at Paul, Paul begins with the gospel. Because if you go wrong in the gospel, you'll go wrong everywhere else. There are so many other areas of the life of the church that will go wrong because they're not preaching Christ. The Lord's, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, when he, when he addresses the Lord's Supper, they were, they were coming one at a time and they weren't waiting for anybody else. They were doing it independently. Uh, they, were, they were behaving in a way that was unseemly. Why? Christ wasn't really being understood. Wasn't being understood. He makes them one. He brings them together and they have communion together by faith in Jesus Christ. Discipline was wrong. The man that was among them that wasn't being dealt with, who was a sexual uh, predator and, and, and fornicator, they had a wrong idea of the gospel if they thought that that was right. That they wouldn't deal with that. Why? Because there's a wrong idea of the gospel. Even the head covering. The head covering, some people think that it's, you know, the man is more superior than the woman. That's not what it's about at all. It's a sign that both the man and the woman are under the headship of Christ. If man is the head of the woman, Christ is the head of the man. Why? Because the woman was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing when he took that fruit. He wasn't deceived. He knew it. He took that fruit because Eve had taken the fruit and he loved her more than he would pay heed to what God had said. And all of that, you see, comes from the, from, from the first Adam to the second Adam, the need for the second Adam, the need for Jesus Christ. Paul here at the very outset of the epistle to the Philippians says, Jesus Christ has preached and I rejoice. Because if Christ has preached, then other things will flow from it. But if Christ is not preached, then everything else will go wrong. Everything else will go wrong. That was Paul's, that was the first point, Paul's concern. But the second thing is God's divine purpose. Paul said that Christ is preached and I rejoice. Why? Because God has given a purpose and a, a command. Jesus Christ has given the command to preach the gospel. That's the very purpose that the church has. To publish and to declare Jesus Christ. I was down in Aaron last week. And when I went down there on the Saturday, we went round to <coughs> Lochranza to... Cemetery. There was a, one of the dear ladies in the congregation who had passed away, and she was buried earlier. I buried her earlier in the year, and when we went down, we went round to the cemetery, and the church is in the cemetery. And on the wall, it said, "The last service to be held in this church will take place next Lord's Day." And in the local paper, there are three or four Church of Scotland's all closing. In Aaron. Aaron has such a wonderful history of religion, and yet these are all, all these churches are closing. And you ask yourself, why? 
Why are so many churches in Scotland today closing? There are many reasons, but one of the reasons is this. The church has nothing to say to our people. The church has nothing to say. They can speak about down and outs. They can speak about the Ukraine. They can speak about wars. They can speak about poverty. They can speak about pay. They can speak about all things. But they don't preach Christ. And the church that doesn't preach Christ has really nothing to say to our community. My friend, that, the Church of Scotland is full of, of that throughout our nation. And so many churches in this in our, have got a lot to answer for. For closing, churches closing, people not going to church, there are many reasons. One of them is the church has nothing to say to the people. But Paul here speaks about the glorious message that the church has to declare. Christ is preached, and I rejoice, because the church has a message to declare to the people of our nation. It's the greatest message that any poor sinner can ever hear. And the greatest message that any preacher will ever be led to preach, Jesus Christ. And yet, how many places you will find Christ is not even mentioned. That's sad, isn't it? That's an indictment. Because the Apostle Paul says that the church is the ground and pillar of the truth. If you remember how, how he, he, he spoke of it, it's like a it's like a great pillar, like the Roman pillars where they would put up put up their, their posters. They would just even today you, you you do that. And look what Paul says when when he 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 writes to Timothy and he's encouraging <clears throat> this young preacher. He says, <clears throat> But if, uh, these things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on that the world, received up into glory. Paul is encouraging Timothy there that the church is the great pillar of the, the ground and pillar of the truth. How, how, how wonderful that uh, it is that uh, this message that the Lord's people have. Remember the church at Ephesus. When John writes to the church at Ephesus, he warns them, you have left your first love. You have left your first love. You have left Christ. My friend, do we rejoice this evening that you belong to a congregation and a denomination that above all else seeks to preach Jesus Christ. We may not as a denomination have all the other things that other denominations have, all the things that will entertain young and old, 
We may not have pews even today that are filled with crowds of people to be entertained. But we have a denomination, God willing, that wants to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. The most glorious message that we have. And here's the, the third thing. If that is Paul's concern, that he begins with this message, because this is the most important thing, and the divine purpose and the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the church is to go and preach the gospel to every creature. What then, thirdly, is the church's responsibility? What's the church's responsibility? My converted friend this evening, it is the responsibility of every Christian to speak and to tell others of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just the responsibility of the preacher to preach it. It is your responsibility to speak it and to tell others of the, of the glory, the glorious gospel, the glorious message that they may pass this building not even thinking what's in here. They pass here every day in their cars. They go to their works. Do you tell them, you know, in that building, there is the preaching of Jesus Christ, the glorious, the most glorious message that you could ever hear is to be heard in that building. And what is that message? Jesus Christ. It is the responsibility of every individual to speak the gospel. But above all, it is the duty of the church to preach, to preach the gospel. The Lord has given us the means by which he will draw sinners to himself. And that is the preaching of the gospel. He has given us the message that we have to preach. That is Jesus Christ. And it is the responsibility of the church. It is the responsibility of the church to use the means and to proclaim the message that God himself has ordained. You can go to places and there will be much entertainment. And there will, they will fill the pews with people. You'll go tonight to places where the pews are filled. filled. The pews are full. There's entertainment. There are all manner of things that will draw people in. Worldly things. And that is wonderful. If at the end of the day, filling pews... It's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not filling pews. The purpose of the church is to seek to fill heaven with repentant sinners. Filling churches and pews with people at the end of the day will be nothing unless these people in these pews I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and by that directed to be filling heaven. The great purpose of the church, as Paul, Paul rejoices that Christ is preached because 
by the preaching of the word. By the preaching of Christ Jesus. By that means appointed by God and by that message sent by God. That is the means whereby sinners are directed heavenwards. And if all we need to do is fill pews, then we're missing the point. It's not pews. It's heaven itself that we aim for. You think, for example, of, of uh, Jesus Christ himself. You remember when Jesus was with the disciples and he began to, to speak to the crowd. The crowd followed him. A great crowd came and sought after him. And then Jesus began to speak to them about how he and his father are one. He began to speak to them about himself. One by one, they all went from him. Did he stop them and say, stop, I'll, I'll, I'll water down this message. I'll, I'll change the message to make it more popular. No. Ultimately, all he was left with were his own disciples. And he said to them, will you also go away? My friend, it's the responsibility of the church to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to change the means and not to change the message, but to continue to faithfully seek to bring before the eyes of poor sinners the need of such a Savior as we have, even in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church's responsibility. So we see Paul's concern. We see the divine purpose for the church in preaching the gospel. We see its responsibility to faithfully do so. But the fourth thing is we see the means. We want to look at the means. What are the means Paul brings before us? It is preaching. He says here, I rejoice. Why? Because Christ is preached. It didn't matter whether they were the, 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 some of the brethren that he spoke of earlier on. Many of the brethren, convent somebody preached Christ even of strife. Strife or, or in, in love, he didn't care. Preaching Christ was Paul's great love when he heard of it. God would build his kingdom through the preaching of the word. And if you're going to build a kingdom today, how do you do it? If you're going to extend a kingdom today, how do you do it? Well, we don't need to look very far because we have evidence today of how man will extend his power. Vladimir Putin seeks to dominate the Ukraine. How does he do it? He sends in tanks. He sends in weapons. Armies. He, he sends in an army to try and subdue that nation. That's how he does it. A terrorist group like Hamas try to destroy a nation. How do they do it? By terrorist means. 
by means of terror. But my friend, the Lord's ways are not your ways, and it's not my ways. He says to Peter, put the sword down. He says that he would use the means of the preaching of the word. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it is through the preaching of the gospel principally that God blesses his word and brings sinners into his kingdom. Wonderful, when you go to Mark's gospel, there we go right again to the very first chapter of Mark's gospel. Mark speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord comes down into Capernaum. And as he's in Capernaum, what does he do? He goes into the synagogue and he begins to speak. And they're amazed. What manner of man is this that speaks in such a way? What kind of man is this? And then there was a man there. He healed a man that was there. And when he left, he came down into Peter's house, Peter and Andrew's house. And when he was in Peter and Andrew's house, the crowds came. They came to him all that night, bringing their, the, the, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the ill. They were bringing and he would lay his hand on them and he would heal them. Even the healing son, the, the, the men of the greatest men of the Old Testament, did very, very few miracles. We often have the idea of Elisha and Elijah, they're great miracle men. They did very few. There's not one of them that did any great miracles in their lives. But this man, they were bringing all that night, that Sabbath day, they were bringing them to Peter's house and he healed them. Then they went to their bed. They went to their bed, and the next day, the disciples looked for him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and they that were followed him after him, and when they, they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Isn't that wonderful? Imagine if that happened in Stornoway. People were coming, and they were being healed in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ was healing that day. So what do you do? So what, what is it that you do? He, he, he said unto them, do you go back to Peter's house? Do you go back into Capernaum? Try and get this work going again. He said unto them, he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there, for therefore came I forth. He came to preach. Came to preach. What a wonderful example we have here. That we tonight are preaching the gospel. We don't ask you to come down the front and bring those who are ill or sick, so what? Preaching Christ Jesus. That's the message. This was the divine way that God will gather in his elect from all the four corners of the world. Think of, of, of the great blessings that came 
towards these islands here. And I think of the island of Skye, blind man, blind Donald Monroe, making his way up to Uig, a great fiddler, played the fiddle. On his way up, Mr. Farquharson, a man who was a missionary going abroad, he, he, he would have been a minister, but he hadn't the education, so he was going to be a missionary abroad. And the boat that he was in, a storm came that blew it into Uig. And he went up into Ehrlich and he began to preach in the open air. Blind Don Monroe was passing and all he heard was the preaching of Christ and he was gloriously converted and used mightily on the island of Skye. He threw away his fiddle and he began to catechize. He began to, to go to homes and teach the Bible in an island that was dark. Even Meister Ruri wasn't converted at this time. But when Meister Ruri was converted in Snyzard, he went to the edge of his own parish. The parish minister in the next parish was a liberal minister. He wouldn't allow Donald Monroe or Meister Ruri to go into his parish in Waternish. So when revival began in Waternish, the people walked from Waternish to the very edge of Meister Ruri's parish so that they could hear the gospel. 9,000 on the edge of Meister Ruri's parish coming to hear the preacher of the gospel. My friend, that's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Is that not what you pray for today, that God would bless the preaching of the word, that there would be a great outpouring of his spirit and he would bless Christ crucified to poor sinners? My friend, we long for these days, do we not? You don't long for days when someone will come and say, come down here and, you know, I'll heal you, your your ailment, or I'll heal this, or I'll heal that. We long for days when poor sinners would come and cry out to heal their soul. Preach to me, Jesus Christ. That's the means. But what is the message? The means are not to be changed. These are the means appointed by God. But what's the message? That Christ is preached. Christ, one word. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know what rejoices the heart of the Apostle Paul as he's going to confront Nero, the Caesar Nero, as he's confronting even death itself? Do you know what rejoices the heart of the Apostle Paul? One word, Jesus, uh, Christ. Christ is preached. Christ. What rejoices your heart this evening? Is there one word that would rejoice your heart as you're sitting here this evening? What is it? If you're honest with yourself, what is it that rejoices your heart? Money? Family? Work? Goods? Things that you possess? Football? The public house? What rejoices your heart? Christ rejoices the heart of the apostle. And remember, this is a man who before despised 
the name of Christ. But now God has blessed the name of Christ to him. Christ has preached not about him, but he himself. It's not just that we preach about Jesus Christ, is that Christ himself has preached. His glorious person, the second person of the Trinity, God of very God, and yet he has manifested himself into this world. He is both God and man and one person, for, uh, 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 one uh, person forever. And what he has done. Go back to Mark's gospel. Go back to Mark's gospel where we read of Jesus in the synagogue on the Lord's day and then he comes down to Peter's house to know when he met the man, there was a man that was that was that had evil spirits in him. Do you know what the evil spirits cried out? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the devils knew who he was. They knew him. They knew him. And he provides for us because he is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Paul knew that. He says, Christ is preached. The Lamb of God is preached. The Lamb who gave himself a ransom for sin. He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. My friend, do you love to hear Christ crucified? Do you love to hear the cross? Do you love to hear uh, how, how Christ suffered and died in the room instead of sinners? How in his precious blood your sins are washed away by the Lamb. But that's not sufficient. If that's all he, he, he provided, then that wouldn't be sufficient. Because not only is it that he died that he would take away our sins, he lived that he would provide a perfect righteousness for his people. That you would be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. No wonder the Apostle Paul says, when I hear that Christ is preached, I rejoice. Because the only saviour of sinners is set before us. That's the message. So we see it's a Paul's concern for it. It's a divine purpose. It's the church's responsibility. It's the means, the preaching whereby God gathers in his elect. The message is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. And the last thing is this. It's the only message that has a promise attached to it. Look what he says here. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. Because the Apostle Paul knows that the preaching of Christ is not just a vain hope of his. He knows that God will use the preaching of the word. And he will use that preaching of the word not only in Paul's own day, but there will be sinners who will rejoice 
Christians who will rejoice in the preaching of the word. I do rejoice and I will rejoice. My friend, where do you find a promise this evening? The promises of the world fail. The promises of the world vanish. The promise of wealth, the promise of health, the promise of all these things. There is nothing. But you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You discover that in Jesus Christ that are great and precious promises. Promises not only for time, but promises for all eternity. The promise of salvation. Ehud. Uh, Deborah. Gideon, Samson, they were temporal promises that the judges had. Great promises, but they only lasted a time. It rested on them. But the covenant of grace does not rest upon the good works of you, me, or anything else. Salvation rests upon Jesus Christ alone. Was that not the great mantra that the Reformation discovered in its day? Faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, Scripture alone, to God's glory alone. Five glorious things that are all to be found in that one name, Christ. We preach Christ, and as we preach Christ, we preach salvation, not by the church, not by a priest, not by your own works, vain works, by things, faith alone. In Christ alone, by grace alone, Scripture alone, and to God's glory alone. And if you think about today, and you go to churches and they'll preach many things, trivia, the most trivial issues of the day, they'll give you a wee 10 minute sermon on this, that, and the other. My friend, this evening, we have the most glorious message. You have the most glorious message set before you in Jesus Christ. What are you doing with the preaching of Christ? Have you laid hold upon him? Have you come like the woman and touched the hem of his garment that she was clean? Have you come before him as Thomas came before him and saw Thomas, look at the hands, look at the side. And he said, my Lord and my God. Have you been brought to your knees the way the apostle himself was brought to his knees on the road to Damascus? Lord, what shalt thou have me to do? Have you been brought this evening 
through the preaching of Christ to lay hold upon him and by faith to trust in him alone. Well, my friend, there's two things I will leave you with. First of all, pray that our denomination and our congregations will not be tempted to go down the road of entertainment or anything else, but will continue to center on preaching Christ. Preaching Christ alone. And secondly, make sure that as you are sitting under the gospel, that you lay hold upon Christ for all eternity and for your salvation. Let us join together in prayer. Let us pray. Most gracious and ever blessed Lord, we pray that thou would bless the preaching of the word this day. We thank thee for the great means that thou hast appointed. Go ye into all the world and preach. We thank thee that thou hast given to us the message. Preach the gospel to every creature. And that gospel is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. May we rejoice with the Apostle Paul when Christ is preached. May we go out from here and speak to others of the gospel of this great message that others may come in, that others may hear that message and be converted. Bless us now. Undertake for us in the rest of the day. Pardon us our sins. For Jesus' sake. Amen.